This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming. Good morning and welcome to the September 15th episode of the Indiana Pioneer Agronomy podcast. I'm agronomist Brian Schrader and joined as always by my two fellow co-hosts, Ben Jacob from Southern Indiana and Carl Joran from West Central Indiana. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good morning, Brian. Great. Well, uh, for our uh, regular listeners, you'll realize that uh, Ben is back from his hunt out west. Uh, We've talked briefly before we got started about uh, the success. I'll let Ben go into that, but Ben, maybe uh, fill us in about your hunt, but also the thing that I'd be really curious about, you had to drive out there. I'd love to hear from you about what you thought of the crops as you uh, headed west and all the way really through the Corn Belt. Yeah, so, I mean, thanks, Brian. I guess, um, you know, more more so than a hunt, I really just took a bow for a walk in the mountains, uh, <laughs> which is always a great time if you're inclined to do such a thing. Um, in southwestern Colorado, it was hot, you know, over 100 degrees multiple days. So, um, but as far as the, the state of the crop, so essentially, um, for those that aren't aware, I live you know, around 20 miles south of I-70. So running I-70 basically from, from, you know, southern Indiana all the way to Colorado. So you get to hit Illinois um missouri and kansas all the way out um and you know i didn't see anything um as you're rolling along at 70 miles an hour that that looked that looked too bad it it is interesting as you go west um and this shocks me every year you know eventually you get to a breaking point where everything is just so clean you don't have the humidity that we have to to have i mean you know our corn just looks downright dirty compared to some of that pristine dried down corn um, that you have as you get out west now harvest progress um, a little bit in missouri see some machines rolling some 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 fields opened up but really really across that area i think that we're on the front end of of everything um and interestingly, this year, I, everything looked everything looked pretty good. There's been some years where I've headed west that, you know, you could see some obvious, obvious tough spots. And if you think back to some of the weather that we've had, you know, in June, there was just south of I-70, pretty much across, across all of Illinois and into the area that I cover, you know, most of that had a seven or eight inch rainfall event there over, over one night. So surprisingly things things look really good all the way across and again you know harvest progress is just just getting started i'd say about everywhere all right and i know carl you've spent some time in that general western corn belt with nebraska i'd be curious if you talked to any of your former colleagues from nebraska here lately are are they getting started have uh, they done anything yet from a harvest standpoint yeah, when Ben was talking about that I-70 corridor, when I uh, was working in Missouri and eastern Kansas, I, I traveled that road many a time, so definitely familiar with that that geography. Um, beautiful country, but but yeah, just to Ben's point, you know, just kind of getting started on harvest, you know, maybe with the 
early corn early in Southwest Missouri, you know, going after that, say 100 to 105 day planted there at the end of March or beginning of April, where they're just trying to dodge that seasonal drought or that seasonal excess heat that they're going to experience more so than a drought. Um, they're right around pollination. So if by going a little bit earlier, they're going to be able to mitigate that, that risk. And um, those fields are coming out pretty nice. Uh, uh, there's a farmer that I've been able to keep in touch with through another party where um, he's getting his eyes on some of our newest corn revolution products. And it's very exciting to hear some of the yields coming out of a 9.53 a.m. or a 12.22 a.m. or even what I would consider our new products this year with an 11.85 or 13.59. Really, really some exciting yields for, uh, you know, that, that, 5% of corn that's maybe been harvested in that area. So uh, a sure. progressive grower that's going to pour the coals to things, but, but yeah, it's uh, uh, what I understand for that area that doesn't make up a huge volume of the total bushels that, that the U S crop is raised each year. You know, there's, it's impressive so far, but uh, I know as we're getting into things here in Northwest Indiana, also pretty exciting about what we've taken off in some, some pretty droughty spots. So uh, corn's really held tough. Uh, up in my area, even in spots where I was getting concerned if we we're going to uh, really be taking a lot of the top off, but hidden APH or a little bit above is, uh, you know, something that I consider a win in some of these areas that we've only caught a couple inches since the beginning of August. So, okay. Ben, you'd certainly be probably the farthest along in harvest progress uh, of the three of us at this point. And then I know uh, one of our guests that we've had dan emmer i know dan's got a fair amount of stuff that's been harvested give us kind of the sense of what you're hearing from the guys kind of south of 70 in the state of indiana in terms of progress and yield reports on corn and soybeans yeah so certainly dan has um has a lot more progress than i do um now the, the caveat to this is i've been you know back in the office for essentially two hours so <laughs> i haven't uh, i haven't chased us down for about 10 days the way that I should, but, but early corn, um, it looks really good, particularly as you go South and you get out of that belt where we got all those heavy rains early. Um, you know, when we had Dan on the last time, he mentioned that there, a lot of his area just, just got everything that it needed. The rain timing, you know, every, every seven to 10 days, they seem to get the right amount of rain without too much rain. Um, so obviously that's going to, that's going to yield very good results. Um, as you move North a little bit, we're just, just barely on the front end of it right now. Everything so far looks pretty good. I think, I think at, at least meeting expectation, um, where we've got into some beans, you know, the, the bean yields are, are potentially as good as they've been the past two years, which is, you know, which is really impressive. We've had, we've had a couple of good years for growing beans. So I expect, um, you know, with all the heat that we've had later this week, we'll, we'll really, we'll really get started in earnest. Um, you know, poking around a little bit, a little bit yesterday evening, um, there, there is a lot of stuff that could go. So it's just, it's just a matter of how, you know, how willing are people to dry grain and um, when when they really want to get after it hard. But, you know, we had a hot week last week, it looks like. Uh, looks like we're going to have a lot of heat this week. So corn could, it's not out of the question for corn to move a point a day, um, you know, and that, that'll that get us rolling in a hurry. 
I, I would agree with that. We've had we've seen at least in the eastern part of the state uh, over the last ten days or so, we've really seen this crop change a lot. It's it's been a significant change both for corn and soybeans in terms of maturity. There's no doubt in my mind we had several days last week uh, where we dropped that point that you're talking about, Ben. And then this week, obviously, from the forecast, looks like we're going to do the same thing. Uh, early reports from corn and soybeans in the eastern part of the state uh, align with what you've shared quite a bit. Uh, bean yields, frankly, uh, for me personally, have exceeded my expectation early. Uh, we're really into that early April planning right now, that four, five, six, seven time frame, depending on what it was. Uh, one consistent report with these early soybeans has been the size, which is not surprising to me. Uh, we didn't get some of those rains that you got in July and August in a good chunk of the eastern part of the state, especially central and south central Indiana. And so bean size, at least for these early ones, may be a bit of a challenge, but they are yielding quite well from reports. A uh, little bit of corn that's been done. Numbers are very good, uh, you know, very much like what we had last year. And we had a great corn crop in a number of places in eastern Indiana last year. So um, I think this week we'll get a lot of the early planted, early maturity soybeans going. Same with corn, our 100 day, maybe some of the 104, 105 day corn that was planted early. So I think, you know, a week from now, we'll probably have quite a bit more to report to you in terms of yield. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you, Brian. We're kind of at the very tip of tip of harvest, if you will. I, I know between you and me over in Laporte County, we had some 20T64. So talking about going that early bean, you know, early trying to capture that early harvest premium, had those beans get, you know, just shy of 70 bushels per acre on the field average. So these early beans, um, you know, they seem to be they seem to be doing all right when it comes to the yield department where sometimes guys are going to be giving up some bushels chasing that early premium, but it seems like they're holding, holding pretty steady. And, you know, Ben was talking about dry down. Um, we've expressed our concerns about stock quality for a number of weeks now on this show. And I, for whatever it's worth, I think that message is resonating because I was visiting with a grower last week where they were getting after things right at 30%, you know, taking the corn out of the field, not afraid to get it dried down. They know that stock quality is a concern. And, and uh, man, even, even since we spoke last, as I'm going through fields, I'm, you know, if we weren't aggressively managing our nitrogen or have a good split application program in place, I mean, popping stocks is, you know, not out of the question. It's it definitely be in your fields evaluating. So that way, you know, if you haven't got started on harvest, that way you can be prioritizing what needs to come out. Yeah. And I, I think that there's a couple things too, to think about with this stock integrity issue, Carl, and we've talked about a number of them, Ben and I spent an episode a few weeks ago talking about the haze. I, I think that that is going to be where we will see the biggest impact uh, from the haze that we had from those Western wildfires is probably uh, stock integrity because we weren't photosynthesizing like we should. And so we had to go somewhere to get those nutrients. Uh, you've got that. I also think that, uh, you know, Ben, in your case, it may be Southern rust in some respects, certainly Carl, for you and our colleagues up north and to some degree, Eastern Indiana, uh, it's going to be a tar spot that has that as well. So it's certainly not one thing. It's certainly probably not just one thing in an individual field. Ben, as he likes to talk about, it's a, a number of different things, usually compounding stresses 
that are going to take their toll. But I, I do think that you guys are right that stock integrity could, before the fall is over, play a, a big part in a successful harvest. Well, on last end of last week, I was in one of my fungicide timing trials. And so even if you, if you sprayed, that doesn't mean that you can walk away and say, yep, I, I did my part. You know, I've done everything that I can, uh, you know, whether it's a split applied nitrogen management plan, still seen stocks popping in, in those fields. But in this fungicide timing trial, we had both aerial application, we had, you know, ground root application, we had different timings. And, you know, it's one of those where if you didn't have great coverage, if you, you know, went out and applied too early, uh, there's big differences when it comes to stock quality. And so obviously, you know, there's some differences by hybrid, differences by brand, but um, on the whole, if we're talking about commoditized corn, just recognizing with, you know, with the different weather patterns we've had this year, whether it's drought stress or this exceptional heat early, um, there's, there's opportunity to, you know, really optimize your harvest when it comes to picking which hybrids you need to take out of the field first. Yep, for sure. Uh, ben, I don't know, are you guys seeing anything? I know, uh, when we did the Hayes podcast, we talked a little bit about that. Are you hearing any reports from your part of the world at this point, uh, prior to what you're leaving on your trip concerning stock integrity? Yeah, I would agree with, uh, you know, some of the concerns that you guys have voiced. Now, I don't know that I can tie it entirely to the haze, um, you know, where we had, where we had excess moisture. Um, we have, we have some stock integrity concerns or more stock integrity concerns. I should say there, there's, there's some concerns everywhere. Um, but some, you know, some of the early yield data that we're seeing, uh, you know, outside of those areas where we had that heavy rain, you know, it, it could be something as simple as, you know, we may have 15 to 20 extra bushels of corn than what we planned for out there. So, you know, if we didn't fertilize, if we, if we fertilized for 230 bushel corn and you get 250 bushel corn, well, that fertility has got to come from somewhere. Um, so I think that that's, that that's pulling into it. And, you know, Carl mentioned the fungicide timing and, and coverage, um, you know, applicators were, were way backed up this year and, and out of a, an abundance of caution, you know, some folks that I know, I know I need to get a fungicide application on, uh, and they called and said, just, just get across this ground whenever you can. And sometimes that was brown silk. Sometimes that was just pr prior to tassel or green tassel. Um, so in some of those cases, the, the residuals worn off and, you know, we got hot late. And so we did have a late disease flush and that's, that's probably affecting things as well. Um, but I would say that, I mean, it, it is a concern. I hope that as we've talked about this in the past, that, that we've gotten out and, and prioritized those fields for harvest. Um, you know, they're, there, there is, like I mentioned, there's a big corn crop out here. It would, it would really be a shame to let it wind up on the ground um, because we didn't do our due diligence. Oh, absolutely. Even on irrigated acres, you know, where maybe we don't have the well capacity. I know that I'm starting to get to more of a niche audience here because there's not everybody with irrigation, but just, 
just conceptually, you know, for guys as we're going into pollination those couple of weeks prior, if we were leaning a little dry, that's when we're developing the ear shank. And so then if you caught that flush of rain, or if you, you know, were able to better optimize your irrigation strategy and you're putting on a bigger, heavier ear, I've noticed that in, you know, a number of fields that I've been in where the ear shanks declined because we put on such a darn big ear that the plant didn't plan for that originally. Not, not a concern in my opinion for, you know, a brittle shank or for, you know, slipping that ear off the plant, but just that tells you that if you had the groceries there, we were able to make a really nice meal, but might not have been, uh, you know, might not have been drawn up that way as we were entering pollination. So just, just something to be mindful of as you're going out and taking a look at fields. Yeah, that, and that jogs my memory, Carl. One of the things that we've got over here in some of our drier, drier areas are the fact that we do have some ears that have drooped over that, that shank has lost some turgor pressure uh, because we've been dry. And just like what you say, we've got a big ear there. And so it's just simple physics. It's just tipping over. Uh, the analogy that I like to use, it's not the end of the world, but for you guys that have kids, uh, they like to play with their straw and bend it. They're still able to get liquid out of the glass from a bent straw, but the flow's not as full mm -hmm. as it should be. It's a very similar situation with those bent shanks on your corn ear. We're still getting nutrients. We're still able to, you know, add kernel depth when we get these late rains and some of those kind of things. It just may not be as effective as what it was had it was still standing straight. And so just something for those of you that are in some drought areas or at least drier areas to be cognizant of is if you're seeing those ears tip over. Well, and to your point on kernel depth, Brian, I mean, if you were out walking corn two weeks ago and you weren't excited about your crop, then go out there again. Cause fields that I've gone back in here in the last, you know, 10 days or so, we are really, really developing some nice girth when it comes to the overall ear mass. So, I mean, corn's, it's really exciting right now. And I'm, I'm awfully excited to see where we get when it comes to harvest and, and taking some of this out to reap those rewards. Yeah, for sure. Ben, I want to go back to something you mentioned about fertility and taking off these big corn crops. Uh, I certainly know in visiting with some of my customers that uh, uh, for fertilizer has increased in price pretty substantially. And so that's going to certainly play into uh, what folks want to do, maybe crop rotation wise or some of those kind of things. Uh, I think we want to be very cautious. I recognize that it's expensive to raise a corn and a soybean crop, especially when fertility uh, inputs do what they do. But to your point, if you've been planning, especially if you're on a two-year spread cycle and you exceed your corn yield, you've robbed, just as you said, nutrients from that soybean. You're either going to have to put that back in or you're going to maybe need to make an adjustment to a one-year spread, at least for the short term. Uh, I would encourage guys to really be watching that. Uh, we don't want to short these varieties, uh, or for that matter, you take off a big soybean crop, uh, you know, what more than what you were expecting, shorten that corn. Uh, you've just got, you know, there's a risk there. And so I don't know how you guys feel about that or your thoughts on one year versus uh, two year spread. We'll certainly need to cover this probably in another episode uh, as we get further into harvest. But for today, I think it's at least worth mentioning and maybe sharing at least a few thoughts on fertility and what we should do here. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I, I have a fairly large percentage of growers that I work with that, that spread every acre every year, um, which I, I it, it's, it's a good thing, right? Um, 
<laughs> now a lot of the a lot of those guys are spreading spreading their own um you know and they've got some good good co-ops that they're working with to let them use let them use trailers you know to, to hold it so it, it depends on i get that it depends on um you know your specific scenario whether you're able to do that effectively or not um, but where you can i would certainly encourage girls to do that because just like you mentioned brian you really don't know you really don't know what you've taken out of the soil until until you get to the end of the year now where i would caution people and assuming they have they have adequate fertility is looking at removal charts um because you know you in a lot of cases for for instance to say for potassium you're you're going to uptake in soybeans almost three times what you remove in the seed um and if you don't have that available on the soil you're you're you're, well, you're, you're going to run short. You're not going to meet, you're not going to meet expectations. Um, so yeah, I, I know that, I know that fertilizer prices have, have went up just an astronomical amount. Uh, but I also, like I mentioned, I think we're setting on a really good prop, crop. Um, commodity prices have been very strong. So hopefully, you know, hopefully we're able to invest some of that back in the soil and make sure that we have adequate fertility for next year. Um, cause we really, we really don't know what the markets are going to do, but the bottom line is if you don't, if you don't have the yield out there, you're not, you're not going to have anything to sell regardless of what the markets do. Couldn't, uh, ditto that more, Ben. Um, you know, if you have been investing in your operation and, you know, you've been building those, those soil, uh, nutrient levels over time this is why you've been building those levels in the event that you have a major price spike when it comes to your inputs, you can quote unquote, mine that soil a little bit, mine the, you know, that nutritional investment that you've made. Now, if you're on rented ground where maybe we haven't necessarily been making that investment the same that you would on owned ground, this is one of those where don't cut off your nose to spite your face. Don't, you know, step over a uh, what is it? Don't step over a dollar to pick up a dime where we've got, you know, commodity prices today and where, you know, charts are forecasted out for the 2022 crop. If you can do some, you know, forward marketing, this is one of those opportunities where if we don't make that investment for the upcoming crop, you're going to short yourself bushels, just like Ben said, and you're not going to have that grain to market next year when maybe we can still take advantage of some nice prices like we see today. But uh, it's definitely a, an unfortunate spot to be in as a producer when you kind of feel like you're being held hostage by uh, some of these input suppliers on the fertilizer side of things. Yeah, another addition I would make to this conversation, Ben, you mentioned removal. Uh, I think we would want to remind everybody, uh, our Indiana listeners specifically, uh, that uh, the tri-state recommendations on fertility were updated a year ago going into, I guess, the winter, late fall, winter. The removal charts have changed just a bit. It's not much, but it is a little bit of a change. And so if you're making your own fertility recommendations or you're working with a consultant, make sure that you've got that in there. You have a discussion about what removal looks like because those folks uh, that work on that between the three states did make some uh, adjustments, minor, but adjustments all the same to that. And then the other thing that I would add, and uh, this is maybe a little bit selfish on my part, but I do think that in Eastern Indiana, we've reached that tipping point on sulfur that we've been talking about for a number of years. You know, we talk about that we weren't getting it from the environment and that we were going to need to start to supplement. I think in Eastern Indiana, we may have reached that 
uh, tipping point where we're going to want to start to supplement our sulfur. And so I would encourage folks that are doing soil sampling this fall to make sure that you're getting at least some of those samples tested for micronutrients so that you know where your sulfur levels are specifically. And if you're deficient in sulfur, you're going to want to make sure you start putting sulfur on. And we can dig into that for another time just because of the sake of time. But I, I just want to put that in as guys are starting to think about what they're going to do fertility wise. Brian, just a quick, quick addition to that. When I was doing my master's through Iowa State, I, I took per, I took the Pioneer research, all of the locations we had across Indiana in 2018, and analyzed those for their sulfur response. Um, and back then it was like $5 to apply 100 pounds of ammonium sulfate. So $5, it does not take very much in the way of soybean yields to make up you know, that cost. And it was one where it was a very consistent return on your investment. So when it comes to uh, one of the more easier decisions to pull the trigger on when it comes to fertilizer this upcoming year, strongly consider putting that 100 pounds of ammonium sulfate on ahead of the planter this upcoming year. Well, okay. we've, I mean, 20, 2021, Brian, I mean, that's a good call out because 2021, we've seen plenty of sulfur deficiency. I mean, produce put out a number of articles and posts about where they're seeing it as well. So it's, it's not, it's not unique to us. And I, I do think, I do think you're right. We've rounded, rounded the bend. The, the last thing I'll say around fertility that, um, you know, we'll save the rest for a more in-depth discussion, but if you are, you know, if you are in that maintenance phase um, and you're comfortable with your, with your overall fertility level, you do have the opportunity if you're looking to to draw back a little bit on rates to improve some efficiency through through placement, um, particularly with with immobile or largely immobile nutrients like phosphorus and potassium. Um, so you can make up a little ground on the amount that you put in, but I would I would caution guys to make sure that you have that base there before you start chasing, before you start chasing that. So if you are up in the high end of that maintenance range, um, that, that may be, may be a situation where you can draw back rates by improving placement. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Anything else guys, we've kind of been around the bend here. I think we've, uh, covered a lot of different ground, maybe getting folks ready for, uh, harvest anything else that we need to hit today. Up to you all. Um, as I've been walking more soybean fields with growers, you know, we're, we're noticing that you got a plant here, plant there with experiencing some white mold, um, nothing where it's catastrophic, where we're seeing big patches in fields or anything like that, or really tying it back to specific varieties. Um, you know, white mold kind of enjoys similar climatic uh, environs as does tar spot. And so as we experience, you know, those, those 70 degree mornings with a nice heavy fog set, um, you know, starting to see some more white mold pop up than maybe a typical year, I would say for Northwest Indiana. And that's in conjunction with having a historic tar spot year in Northwest Indiana. Are you all seeing anything in the way of white mold development in your areas? Yeah, Carl, I've seen some white mold come on. Some things about white mold that I think about is, you know, uh, we've got a fair amount of livestock and uh, availability of uh, manure sources in eastern Indiana. So we've got a lot of folks using that. Uh, when we get a little bit heavy on the manure applications, uh, when populations are maybe a little bit higher than what we should be planting, uh, beans can get a little rank can to your point with the foggy mornings that traps that water uh, that moisture down low 
And then typically uh, white mold has been a disease of high yielding environments. And so you combined all of those things and we are seeing some white mold in some locations that folks typically don't think about white mold. Uh, the interesting thing about white mold is historically those sclerotia, uh, those, you know, the seeds, if you will, of the white mold, they hang around and they soil a long time. And so you may not remember having white mold. It may have been 20 plus years ago, uh, but if we get the right environment, and we can go back and do the disease triangle if we need to this morning, but you get the right environment, you've got a host that's there, and certainly soybeans are a host. Uh, you're going to potentially see it. And we certainly had the disease in some spots. You're right. It's not, at least I'm not seeing big patches. It's usually individual plants here and there. Uh, I think it's just something that perhaps a little bit of uh, management, maybe backing populations down a little bit, uh, maybe taking it easy on the manure for a year or two, uh, you know, monitoring, going back to our fertility discussion, monitoring that fertility to make sure we're where we need to be might help it a little bit, but I am certainly seeing some uh, around in the territory where the environment was conducive for it. Thank, thankfully, uh, thankfully, being this far south, it's a it's a little bit more of an oddity for us. Um, so I've not encountered. Strangely enough, I did I did encounter quite a bit of it along my north edge last year. Um, that doesn't seem to be the case this year so far. So as you know, as most of the beans are starting to starting to change color you know we may we may be out of that risk down here yep for sure well guys maybe we'll call it uh an episode for today i think again we've covered a, a lot of territory getting folks ready uh we'll certainly be pumping these things out as we go through harvest so as you folks are in the combine or uh in the tillage tractor we'll try to keep you uh, semi-educated and hopefully entertained as we do it. So, uh, Ben, if folks heard something that you said today and would want to get uh, in contact with you, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Hey, you can find me on Twitter at the Ben Jacob and on Facebook at Ben Jacob Agronomy. As you all are getting into the fields and and you know rolling through harvest, I would love to hear results. So. Um, yeah, as you guys get in there, feel free, or I would encourage you to reach out and, and let us know how things are going. Yep, very much so. Carl, how about you? Yep, couldn't agree more. Uh, if you want to see what I'm looking at in the field, uh, follow along on Twitter at CJorn. All right, and if you want to get a hold of me, you can get a hold of me at uh, BK Schrader on Twitter and B underscore K underscore Schrader on Instagram. And I would echo what these guys have said. We would certainly uh, love to hear from you guys on how things are going. And if you've got topics that you'd love for us to cover this fall, uh, while we've uh, got you in those combine cabs or those tractor cabs, let us know, reach out to us and uh, certainly tell us what you'd like to hear. That'd be a, a lot of fun to get some direct feedback from a lot of you. We'd also uh, encourage all you guys to be safe as you get into harvest. We know that that makes for a uh, long days, uh, short nights, and we want you to be safe. Uh, a lot of work to do, but uh, our, we hope that you'll make it back to your family each and every night. So we thank you guys for joining us. And uh, for this episode of the Indiana Pioneer Agronomy Podcast, thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy Team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming.